This is SFNet Presents In The Know with host Barry Bobro, sponsored by Hilco Global. Hello and welcome to SFNet Presents In The Know. I'm your host, Barry Bobro, Managing Director and Head of Credit Markets for Regions Business Capital. Through the In The Know video and audio podcasts, I'll be bringing you a series of conversations with thought leaders on important topics impacting the secured lending and asset-based markets. Joining me today for what I hope will be a timely and highly insightful discussion is Dan North, Senior Economist for Allianz Trade North America. Uh, I'll give you a brief introduction of Dan. Dan has been with Allianz Trade North America since 1996, using macroeconomic analysis to help manage Allianz Trader's portfolio of more than $150 billion in U.S. trade transactions. He's appeared on CNBC, Fox Business News, and Bloomberg. I feel very honored to have him today. He's been quoted in Newsweek, Barron's, the BBC, having predicted the 2008 and 2009 recession and its implications very accurately. He was ranked fourth on Bloomberg's list of the 65 top economist forecasters for 2010. Before we begin, I want to make an important disclaimer. Any views and opinions expressed in today's discussion are statements of the speaker's opinions intended for information purposes only and no, not necessarily binding on Regions Bank, its parent company, Regions Financial, and its subsidiaries. And any representation of the contrary is expressly disclaimed. And I think Dan would say the same goes for uh, himself and Allianz. Uh, thank you all in advance for watching and listening. I welcome your feedback on today's discussion as well as any suggestions you might have for future topics and speakers. Dan, thank you for joining us again on the sidelines of the uh, SFNet 79th Annual Convention. Really glad to have you here today. Thanks very Looking much. Looking forward to your remar remarks in, in just a little while, but maybe we'll get a little preview, which will okay. then be viewed later. But uh, looking at the news today, is the fight against inflation over, Dan? Well, you would think, or at least the markets think that's the case. I mean, this week we had uh, some pretty important measures, uh, consumer price index and producer price index and their core. They all come in, came in less than expected, and the producer price index actually fell. Didn't just grow more slowly, actually fell. So the markets really feel strong about this, that the fight of, over inflation is, uh, is over. But we're still at 3.2% on the consumer price index. That's not 2%. Mm -hmm. And the, the journey there is getting slower. So I think that the interest rate hikes we've had so far will work eventually, but we're not there yet. Well, markets are, uh, seem to be anticipating an easing of rates. I mean, if, if we, the economists like to look at the forward curve and sure. how, many, how many cuts there will be. But it, in 2024, markets are currently anticipating an easing, uh, maybe varying on the, the degree and timing and extent. What's your view on Fed policy uh, and the yield curve? Well, we think there will be an easing, but we don't think it's going to be till later in the year. And here's one of the reasons why, historically, if you go back and look at what Federal Reserves have done, not just this Fed, but all the previous Feds, they go too far and wait too long. For instance, you, they keep rising rates up to the point that inflation is mostly cured, but they'll say, let's make sure it's really cured before we cut rates again, because we don't want to run the risk of uh, heating up inflation. By that time, they've already strangled the economy as well. So this Fed will probably do the same thing, go too far, wait too long. So we see cuts at the end of this of 2024, not anytime sooner. Now, um, as far as the yield curve, um, we have seen the yield curve starting to steepen. 
And uh, I think that's going to continue on. That's I'd be more certain about the yield curve steepening uh, than I would about the timing of any cuts. We think that's that's well into place. Um, and you do have to remember that you actually don't get the slowdown until after the yield curve has started to steepen. So I think that's a, a strong signal that we're looking at. Mm -hmm. the, the inversion has been with us for, for quite a while here. Do you think that we'll see uh, anytime soon the, the end of the inverted yield curve as a signal of, of a stronger economy? I do. It's probably going to be months yet. Um, and it actually did reach a record low. We're talking about the 10-year, three-month spread. Mm -hmm. um, and as I say, it's, it's bottomed out pretty significantly. Um, so it's, it, I, I believe it is going to, uh, to come back to zero and go positive, but not for a while yet. Q3 GDP that came out a few weeks ago was surprisingly strong. It surprised the markets. Inflation does seem to be declining. How do you interpret your overall outlook for the U.S. economy? First of all, GDP is backwards looking. It tells you what happened in uh, July, August, and September. Who cares? That's, that's behind us. Now, I can explain it. We had to, still had lots of uh, excess savings to spend. And quite honestly, it's not really a joke, we had Barbie and Taylor Swift. Those, those things actually really did uh, add a boost to the economy. Barbenheimer. And, yeah, Barbenheimer, and people kind of having probably the last spending spree. So that's what uh, really drove Q3. And Q4 is probably going to be okay too. But we see signs that things are going to be slowing down. Consumers are running out of income and savings and, uh, you know, student loan debts are having to be uh, repaid now. So there's certainly some headwinds uh, in addition to interest rates going to over 5% over the past couple mm -hmm. of years. Just drilling down on that, there's a lot of charts available, a lot of talk about the consumer still spending money that was, that was distributed. Is the consumer out of money? Is the consumer debt uh, concerning you? Do you see defaults and, and that will impact uh, uh, consumer spending in, in, in 2024? I think so. Um, you know, again, consumers did have excess savings. The question comes back is to... Uh, how do consumers spend? They need money to do that. They need income. Well, income's been down for four solid months in a row. Well, okay, so you don't have income. Where else can you spend? Well, you can go to savings, right? Well, savings have been down four consecutive months. And all that grand excess savings we had is probably wearing out as well. Okay, so you don't have income. You don't have savings. Where do you go? You go to credit cards, of mm -hmm. course. So credit card debt is, uh, is very much on the rise, very strongly at almost outrageous interest rates, I think about 20% on average. And if your credit's not as good, you're heading up into the high 20s. So we have a lot of debt coming on at very high interest rates. And as a result, we're seeing a lot of delinquencies uh, in, in consumer lending. So, uh, and, and we think that that's going to continue going on because you know, there's no other, if you really want to keep spending, that's it. Labor markets are, are very strong, though. I mean, I, 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 how, do you, how do you balance the idea that we're, we've had a soft economy, but labor markets, uh, unemployment's been at near-record level lows. Uh, is, the consumer, is that the reason for the consumer spending, that they're employed and they have paychecks coming in? Well, I think that certainly uh, does help. But there are a number of things to think about in the labor market. Unemployment, that indicator, is a lagging indicator. So it doesn't tell you anything mm -hmm. about today or even tomorrow. Jobs creation is at best a coincident indicator. If you go back and look at every recession, go back, look at 12 months ahead of time, six, eight, two months, 
every one of those recessions, the economy was still growing jobs. It's not till you reach when the recession exactly starts that you start seeing job losses. Mm -hmm. It's the last pillar of the economy to fall, labor is, because employers don't really want to let uh, anybody go unless they have to. So, you know, just because you had a, uh, a good uh, jobs report last month tells you nothing about what's going to happen next month. It mm -hmm. drops off just like that. So here's the big question that, you know, you have to ask an economist when you have the chance. Uh, there's been call for recession. Now maybe discussion of, of soft landing. What's, what's your view? Why our, hasn't that recession come here yet? Our view still is a significant slowdown in uh, 2024, several quarters of around zero growth circling right around recession or the technical definition. But let's say very, very slow growth. Yes, we've been talking about it for a while. But, at least from our perspective, we saw what was going to happen for a long time. You see infl uh, inflation soaring and then the Federal Reserve having to take uh, very aggressive action. Well, that's an assault on the economy that, you know, that really can't bear. And we have seen that in a number of indicators. You know, we've seen all that early on. That's why we started talking about it early on. But it's not really a surprise that it's not here yet. Think about it this way. The yield curve inversion gives you something like three to five quarters of warning, sometimes six quarters. Mm -hmm. Well, that started in September. So that means we shouldn't really expect the slowdown to have been here yet anyway. And you look at other variables like uh, jobless claims. Well, that bottomed out last September, and it's usually more than a year before that indicates a recession's coming. So we still think the timing is right. It's just that we started talking about it early because mm -hmm. we saw the signs. Interesting, interesting. Are there some sectors that you uh, that you focus on that are more sensitive to the higher rates and uh, and in the, and the inflation levels that we're experiencing? Right. So you can look through the economy, and I think the first victim was housing. As soon as the Federal Reserve admitted that inflation wasn't transitory, mm -hmm. financial markets suddenly recognized interest rates are going up. So that 30-year mortgage went from 3% up above 7% mm -hmm. now pretty rapidly. In the same time period, existing home sales fell something like 30%. Starts and permits were down uh, you know, in the 20% range. See a very close correlation there. And now that we have high mortgage rates and still high prices of homes, affordability is near an all-time low. So we think that uh, interest rates have really damaged the housing market, and that's not going to reverse anytime soon. Manufacturing is interest rate sensitive, and you can see all through that durable goods orders and industrial production and the ISM indexes all say, you know, uh, manufacturing is in recession. Uh, freight, which is very sensitive, uh, a good leading indicator, because everything you see around you came to you by freight, particularly trucks. Uh, that is really uh, fallen off the uh, the charts. Trucking expenditures are down 25% year over mm -hmm. year now. So we uh, we see these leading indicators that uh, are telling us that uh, we still believe the slowdown is Gas, gas prices a barrel have come down a bit lately. Do you think that that helps uh, with the transportation costs? Well, what's interesting is um, the cumulative effect of inflation. So I go back and look uh, starting in January of 2021 when inflation was just about to really take off. And you follow through prices, wages, housing, groceries, gasoline. Wages are way behind all those measures on a cumulative basis. And that's why you still feel 
sticker shock when you go shopping. Mm -hmm. It's like, this still seems like a lot more than it was. And it is because of the cumulative effect there of inflation. That gets that gets lost. Are there some sectors that you think are, are benefiting from the current environment that are that are remaining very strong? Um, there are some sectors that are typically more recession proof, such as pharmaceuticals, such as food um, and some consumer items as well. Uh, those would be the only ones that can really kind of do okay in this type of aerospace and defense seems to be enjoying uh, <laughs> all of the the world turmoil yes well there is demand for that right now for sure mm -hmm. dan your uh, your business at Allianz is heavily involved in in credit risk insurance i wonder if you could and and to me it's it's the same or very similar to banking we we you you assess risk and you price risk so i just i thought maybe we could get a lead on uh, on your view on on credit risk insurance Right. So the way we help our clients is this. Most of our clients sell on open accounts. They sell goods to another business and they hope to get paid back in 30 or 60 or 90 days, but they run the risks that that business won't be able to pay them back. We cover our clients for that. We cover them against non-payment. Um, nationwide, if you look at statistics on bankruptcies, uh, they're rising very rapidly, up something like 30% year over year. And uh, our our business is experiencing a more rapid increase in claims for this reason, for this non-payment. However, we are in a very good place to tolerate that. So our risk appetite is still very good and uh, we, can, we can manage going forward and we're open for business. We don't want to touch politics here. No, we uh, don't. Bad idea, but uh, it's hard not to look at the uh, uh, what's been going on uh, with respect to potential shutdowns, which this week was was averted. Right. Uh, and and I guess the question I have for you is how is how is the political uh, landscape impacting markets, and how might it affect the economy uh, in 2024? Right. So it's a good thing the uh, government shutdown was averted, but it's kicking the can down the road. We're going to run into the same problem in January and February. Um, you know, recently the economy the, uh, has been, U.S. economy has been downgraded by Fitch and Moody's, and it's pretty much been met with a yawn by mm -hmm. the financial markets, uh, even puzzlement, because there's really no, nothing new that's changed on the fiscal front, which uh, these agencies have, have cited. Um, so I don't think that there's going to be that much of an effect. The treasury market is the deepest, most liquid market in the world. And uh, I, I don't see this, these opinions really changing that. Um, the, uh, it's hard to square the, uh, uh, the concerns that the agencies are expressing with the fact that the 10-year Treasury has rallied from near 5% to today around 440. Right. So that shows you that perhaps sometimes the, uh, the rating agencies may be a little bit divorced from what's going on. But they do make a really good point. All this uh, turmoil in Washington is about fighting the wrong thing. They're missing the point. They're chipping away at the edges of the discretionary sp spending. The big problem is our mandatory entitlement programs, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, Income Security, and several others that are politically untouchable. They're two-thirds of the budget. P politically, if you try to reform them, you're probably going to be out of office. So, you know, if you want to get rid of the deficit, you probably have to peel away almost all of the discretionary spending and almost all of the uh, Defense Department. Obviously, that's never going to happen. 
So, and we see mandatory programs growing into the future and taking up a bigger part of the pie. Now, this sounds like a super bad problem. I'm not a doomsday guy. I believe that that's the way it's going to evolve, but I don't believe that it's a disaster in the sense that it can't be fixed. It can be fixed. We're not splitting the atom here. All we have to do is uh, in the uh, mandatory bucket is pour more taxes in and take less benefits out. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, this, this is simple. Well, how do we get there is the question because we have an aging population and we don't have enough people that are working to support those programs. We get there probably through skilled legal immigration because skilled legal immigrants come into this country, come into this country and they create more jobs, more rapidly, more highly value-added jobs. And that allows um, payment into these mm-hmm. programs. That's, that's really a very good solution. And, and by the way, if we run up our debt to GDP ratio, which is you know, higher than it's ever been, higher than World War II, and it's gonna just continue to get higher, it's, it's almost a choice in a sense. Japan has right now is a debt ratio that's twice as big as ours, but their growth rate for the last couple of decades has been zero. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the trade-off we're going to face is funding all these programs at the expense of economic growth. Yeah, listen, uh, economics is sometimes referred to as the dismal science. Yeah, but I like the optimism on the, on the end of your uh, your comments there. Maybe we should end there. Okay, uh, Dan, thank you so much for joining today, and I know you're going to be speaking to the SFNet conference later today, so I'll look forward to that. Before we break, I just like to thank our our sponsor, Hilco Global, for all of their support of the podcast and for Secured Finance Network for supporting it as well. 